0: Welcome to Radio TFS, episode number 94. This is Greg Duncan and this is Martin Woodward. Hey Martin, dude, this is like almost like we're going to have 3 shows in 3 weeks.
1: That's crazy talk, isn't it?
0: I think that's like a record.
1: Uh-huh, indeed. It's been a it's been a busy old time as well. It's not like we haven't been shipping stuff.
0: <laughs> no kidding. Huh? Um and this show's going to be great too. We've we've got a another interview which I think, you know, it's up to you guys out there what you think. Um, we do a news show, then an interview show, then a news show, then an interview go- show. You guys out there, let us know and, and email us and let us know who you want to interview uh, or who you want us to interview. If you had a chance to interview somebody, who would you like to hear? Not really an interview. You guys know that. We're having a conversation. It's not an interview. We're not going to grill them or you know, do sequ- – well, I do that. But anyway.
1: Right, um, so RadioTFS at com. If you, if you have somebody in particular you want to have us chat to or yeah. – Four two five two three three eight
0: three seven nine, or even send us a, a tweet at mm. Radio TFS. Uh, we, we get those all, all those tweets as well. So uh, make sure you just let us know. So, we were speaking of new stuff. Last show, we talked about Visual Studio 2015 shipping. Well, this week uh, and yesterday, I don't know really what the big news was yesterday. I don't know what the whole world was, you know, that Microsoft was going to break the internet. You know, it's just that Windows 10 thing. Uh, I know know for you, Martin, Windows 10 isn't that big of a deal because you've been running it for like, what, a year or something?
1: Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I I got, you know, obviously the um, insiders on on the fast track got upgraded to the uh, the build you know the t- 240 build whatever it was um a while ago now so i've been on that for a little while but um i, I funnily enough i have i've kept i've got like a dell venue pro 8 um and i, I deliberately keep it on a retail <laughs> build and uh-huh. it it started uh, downloading the bits it's getting ready and even like my dad who's sort of 65 66 or something i got an email from him like ages ago saying oh yeah i've signed up for the you know in the, the I've, I've reserved my copy of windows 10 i was like oh wow okay and then uh yeah even he's like getting excited about it arriving so yeah, it's a big deal <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, my son did the same thing. He's got a Surface Pro three, and uh, he's like, I, "I signed up, Dad." So you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, my made-made machine that we're recording this on, that we're talking on right now, uh, I it was a Windows Insider machine. It got the bits, but there was weirdness going on. So I had to end up getting the ISO and just installing right off the ISO, which is an important tip. You know, every time on the web, I was seeing everybody, you know, you have to use the media creation tool and install it from a a, a USB key or something. You know, if you're installing it in place and you already have the ISO, just mount the ISO and run the setup from there. For me, that worked fine you know you don't have to put that iso you don't have to burn it to a disc or or put it on a key if you're installing it on that same machine
1: well and that, uh, that it's got a new option this time around as well in terms of doing the upgrade stuff it seems it seems to it seems to handle the upgrades smoother. I don't know it was it was interesting. They've done a lot of work there as ever.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have that media is if, if you don't have the ISO but you want to install off of it, if you get that media creation tool, you're right. You can either use that media creation tool to create the USB key or upgrade the current machine from that. The thing is is that will then download uh um all the bits that you need. Mm-hmm. So uh, but if you already have that ISO, and that I already did, and I already did the SHA-1 comparison to make sure it downloaded fine and everything, yet um, you can just mount it. And, and getting that ISO, that's a good tip. If you have a – like when they do threshold 2 or 3 or whatever, and, and if they do like an entire upgrade like that in the future, just grabbing that ISO and, and mounting that um, – it's that, worked great for me you know, even from windows 10 to windows future 10 versions so.
1: yeah and i had to use a well, i had to use like um a windows 7 machine a while ago and i was i was amazed that like, there was a lot of stuff in the desktop of windows 8 that i'd actually w- was enjoying and hadn't realized you know and then with Windows Ten, I kind of got used to it. Just some of the DAF stuff, even when I'm in like the command shell. Or there's a load of extra features in the command shell in Windows Ten, and all the taskbar enhancements, and just you know, just stuff you just stuff in desktop mode. I hadn't really realised was there. And I had, to, I went, I was in Windows 7, I was like, oh my, <laughs> there is a lot of new stuff there, even if you're not, you know. So yeah, it's good.
0: So if you're on, uh, you know, we talked about Visual Studio 2015 shipping last show. Um, now with the, with the Windows 10 going out, you can get the SDK. You can start building the apps. Uh, Soma's got a nice post about, you know, the, the, uh, building an apps for it. It's lots of links. How do you get the tools? Uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, there's gotten a lot easier. Some of the, the new features in the SDK. So if you're looking to building a universal Windows app for Windows 10, Surface Hub, Hololens, you know, Raspberry Pi Two, uh, uh, Xbox One in the future. This is the toolkit that you need, and this is the RTM toolkit that you need.
1: Mm-hmm. And they've been doing a, a heck of a lot of work on it, you know some of my new team have doing been doing a lot of stuff there, especially around like the dot net native things there so some of the important mm-hmm. performance improvements some you know uh, amazingly uh, you know um intense performance work and tracking down bugs and things like that so no, it's it's looking really good um but one thing, yeah it's one of the things worth mentioning is when you are um Trying to get those tools. You um, can mention this. You go into you go into the you either run the installer again, or you uh, go into control panel and do and hit the change button, and that's how mm-hmm. you get the extra features. And that 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 allows you to get hold of you know universal um, Windows app sh- stuff shows up there. But also, if you want say like uh, I know uh, the Xamarin tools, or you want the the GitHub tools, or something, and you didn't install it when you first installed. Um, visual studio you can go get it then and this is included in visual studio community edition as well you know it's 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 all there you can do everything
0: <laughs> so do we have any uh tfs news from this week
1: well yeah um brian blog probably the biggest news of the week um is some new pricing stuff so uh you know Never never want to love talking about licensing. I'll, I'll, I'll d- dive into it quickly anyway. But look at the show notes and go look at Brian's blog post. Yeah. The, the, the major thing is um, in Visual Studio Online, uh, you know, if you buy um, uh, a license to Visual Studio Basic or, you know, Visual Studio Online Professional, Visual Studio whatever, you get a TFS cow as well, which is actually really smart and interesting. So... Um, you can use your vs you can you can you can can, as an organization pay for your users and get them a visual studio online account and an on-premise tfs server cow you know and and remember these vso um uh vso licenses that you buy they're on a month a month by month license um wait
0: Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that instead of the $499 retail TFS Cal, we can get for like, uh, what is the price then well, that, for the new that's point? even better because it okay.
1: <laughs> it used to be uh Visual Studio Online used to be twenty dollars per user per month. So instead of paying like five hundred dollars to get a user connected to TFS, you'd right. have you'd have to pay twenty I, I feel like a, a salesman on a used car sales I don't <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So or, or on like QVC or something. So uh, not just before ninety nine, no. Now you can pay twenty dollars per user per month. And actually <laughs> okay. let let me tell you that twenty dollars per user per month, and if it's six to ten users, then it's it's not to five users it's free six to ten users it's six dollars a month, and then um it scales down to if you've got like a thousand users it's um two dollars per user per month that's a lot wow. cheaper than a <laughs> cow uh, yeah.
0: yeah that's dramatically cheaper
1: uh-huh that's. Nice. And all
0: the, these details are in Brian's posts,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. But it's crazy. So yeah, no. For like an average company, yeah, it's just ridiculous how much cheaper it is, and just easier, you know. Yeah. And, and, and and the advantage is if you if you if you're not sure about Visual Studio Online or TFS, you know, you not. I mean, maybe you're thinking about Visual Studio Online. You want to play with it, but you're not quite sure if you're going to, you know, bet the whole farm on it or not. It's just a cheaper way of buying a TFS cow. And in an the way, because you're doing it month per month subscri- subscription, but you get access to Visual Studio online as well. So you can take that for a spin and use it if you want. So I was like... This is cool. This is you know, it's, so
0: that's actually that's huge in I'm my organization. You know that that has been one of the blockers. I've been you know, I Greg, I want to access TFS because we you know we just put some SQL stuff in there. It's like well, you know, that's that's four ninety nine if you want to access the source control and the work items and stuff. Uh now This is this makes it mon- monstrously better yeah and especially for the monthly I, we lease our machines here we don't want to do these big huge upfront stuff um no that's
1: well there's um, lots of organizations i work with that do that are very um cyclical you know they they, they, right. they they do like a big project and have a load of people on and then the project goes into maintenance mode and kind of you know the number of people involved it scales down quite dramatically and mm-hmm. this is just perfect for them you know this is really i was actually really impressed They're very smart so um yeah uh you know kudos to the kudos to the licensing and marketing team for doing something you know that's actually <laughs> cool so there we go so that's good
0: so with all the other new stuff happening mm-hmm. um this Visual Studio extension from the Microsoft Dev, Dev Labs, the uh, Visual Studio Platform team, just just stood out. It really has nothing to do with ALM or, Visual, or Windows 10 or anything else. But with uh, Visual Studio 2013, you know, uh, Microsoft introduced the roaming settings. That if you sign in with your, uh, MSA, your Microsoft services account, that your settings could be roamed across your different machines. And you know, immediately what I saw is everybody asked, well, what about my extensions? Microsoft released just, was it, uh, just this week? So that on Tuesday. Tuesday of this week, just two days ago, as we record this, the Roaming Extension Manager, is, in a sentence, it allows users to roam and download Visual Studio extensions across machines. So that huge ask is now available and it's available free. And it's available, like, you know, it keeps saying in the Community Edition, too. So if you got the free version of Visual Studio and you're legally lo- using the free version of Visual Studio in the Community Edition, you can now use this uh, Roaming Extension Manager today.
1: Yep. Pretty cool. Oh hey, um just one before we go into the interview, wanna give us plenty of time for the interview. Mm-hmm. But um you know I mentioned so much, in in Soma's blog post he talks about how you do the install of the Windows ten tools is you go to the you go back to the installer and you run it again and then right. um um you know it fires up or you go to control panel and do add remove and you know it brings up the it brings up the tool in there and you can just check it. Well, have you ever asked the question, like, hang on a minute, how does that work? Because that wasn't in the yeah. thing I just installed. Uh, yeah, I always thought the MSIs
0: were basically static builds,
1: you know, yeah. all the options and stuff. So you're, you're, they're not no. anymore, at least with Visual Studio? No, no, the, the setup team, I mean... So probably, I think it was, was it 2012, I think? I mean, we, we, we really started investing in the setup. So maybe it's, I think it's around 2012, um, using the Wix stuff. Um, I, I mentioned that last week when we were talking about Wix. And the um, Tim snee has got a great blog post, uh, which will stick up, about um, the, the always up-to-date installer now in Visual Studio 2015. So actually, um, it, it comes off a, a feed. You know, what the, the options are available in that checkbox, are actually mm-hmm. driven off um, a feed that they have, um, yeah. and so it, it it it's pulling it down from the cloud, if you know what I mean. So this is, you know, yet one more reason to have a, um, you know, to go for the web installer, because not not only is it not pulling down bits you don't want to install, but actually it's going to add new bits in, and it's just based off an atom feed, you know, an RSS feed basically, um, right? Has all the different.
0: Awesome, so it's kind of like a little chocolatey
1: thing. Yeah, 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 for... exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yep. And you just get to nice. pick the right modules and off you go. But it means as we add new stuff in to Visual Studio, you know, it's there and it's always pointing to the latest bits. And, yeah, it's all good. And it's and it has got some third-party stuff in, like the Xamarin tools, like the GitHub extensions. You know, it's um, yeah, pretty neat. Again, they've been doing some smart stuff. It's, it's funny how all this smart stuff happens once I leave that team, but there we go.
0: <laughs> so it's that interview time. Today, we're going to be interviewing Chris Patterson. Not interviewing, having a conversation with I, I, I hate using interviewing. Having a conversation with Chris Patterson. Chris has been in the software industry for more than 15 years. In that time, he has worked on a variety of projects at companies ranging from startups to telecom. For the last 10 years, he has worked as a program manager on team foundation server at microsoft during that time he's focused on developer tools and alm working on visual studio load test and microsoft test manager most recently he's worked on the rewrite of the team build for visual studio online and tfs 2015 which uh, jumping in here, is it got me very excited when mike told me he was uh, lined up for an interview given all the stuff we talked about build it was like Woo-hoo! oh that's awesome uh, back to the intro. Sorry. Got excited. <laughs> in his spare time, he volunteers as the Cub Master for his son's Cub Scout Pack, focusing on building character and leadership in the boys through outdoor skills and activities. Chris, welcome to Radio
1: TFS. So, yeah, I'm um, yeah, glad are to be here, Chris. You. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here.
2: Okay. Uh, no, I, I was. It's good to talk to you, Martin. You know, re, not too long ago, Martin kind of left us and and went off to the the big world of Visual Studio and .net. And now he doesn't have time to talk to uh, those of us who work on TFS anymore.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I always have time for you. Chris. <laughs> So
0: so people for people outside Microsoft, like like me, um, we always get confused about the different titles. What is a program manager on Team Foundation Server and working on the, the build stuff? What, what what does that mean? What, what is it
2: you say you do here? Um, so I guess there's this, the standard sort of concept of what is a program manager. A program manager right. at Microsoft is the person that is responsible for everything that the developers don't do. <laughs> it, it, and that's pretty much it. I mean, it's everything from sort of uh, designing features and thinking about the product to I go to conferences and talk and I go meet customers and I answer support and look at Stack Overflow and watch Twitter and, you know, all of everything that the engineers don't do, mm-hmm. I-, I do on the team.
1: I used to and phrase I used to phrase the job as um making sure we ship the right thing at the right time and everything else is a matter of style or something like that. I think that's one of my pithy yeah, that,
2: that is that's a pretty pithy way to say it, but um and that that is one of the things that we do, yes. But there's it's such a broad yep. kind of role. it's very interesting though. I mean it's it's nice I get to I get to play with technology a lot, but I'm not actually responsible for making sure the code is good and doesn't have bugs. So yeah, you know, it's kind of a good place for me to be.
1: Well, you do actually. I mean, you're you're a bit of a sneaky PM because you go in I, occasionally and do a bit of code and check it in.
2: I, that is true. I am. I am a little bit off the wall. I do check code in. I have. I have commits uh, or check in to every version of Visual Studio that I have worked on. So just, that starts in about uh, I think with Visual Studio 2005. So Ooh,
1: nice. we're talking about. Team build though, Chris. Do you want to, ex- we've, we've talked about team build vnext and we kind of used uh-huh. it a bit, but do you want to, do you want to explain what team build vnext is? You know, do you want to sure. talk about that a bit more?
2: So, uh, team build vnext and, or, build previewer is what people are a lot of people are calling it simply is the name of the thing that we built for 2015 uh because we needed a name to call it while we were building it um the reality is is over um you know the course of TFS's history there's always been build automation and it's come in various forms and has been improved in some ways um over the years but when we looked at, uh, the planning for 2015 specifically, um, and, and really this process started when we started working on 2013. It's just it didn't, uh, really show itself until TFS 2015. We knew we needed to make some significant advancements in team build itself. And one of the things I did early on was we, we knew we couldn't advance the current system. Um, and that has to do with one very specific requirement that we had on ourselves, which was cross platform. Mm. So, Team build build v next or what I actually I just call it team build and the thing that people knew as team build previously is XAML build um is that is that effort to bring build automation in Team Foundation Server to a much broader audience, our entire developer audience, not just you know the guys focused on .NET and Windows?
1: So, how did you how did you do that? What were the what were the key things to making it cross platform?
2: So, a uh, couple of things. Um, one of the, the the very first thing we started with was um, we have to come up with some sort of um, orchestration technology, because in the end, a build server or CI server, it, its job is to orchestrate your build. So we had to go rethink our orchestration and say, how are we going to do this in a way that is not based on a very, very specific technology framework? And so uh, we went and started building just a back end, a very basic back end um, that actually drives both um, the new release management stuff that you'll see coming um, that you've seen demoed at build and you'll see coming out this fall, as well as team build. So we really started from a place of thinking about not just pure not just about build, though that was the initial experience we were building. Um a lot of the capabilities we built were really focused on on DevOps, kind of all up. So we needed a a mechanism for orchestrating stuff, you know, executables and things you want to run on remote machines in a way that wasn't necessarily tied to any particular runtime platform. So we went and built that back end and the details of it are not Interesting, unless you really want to go dig in. Um, Okay, well, the experience, the the UI. Well, previously in all versions of Team Build, the user experience was deeply embedded in Visual Studio. And there is a large percentage of developers that love that kind of cockpit feeling of, hey, I'm in my IDE, I don't ever have to leave it. However, there's a lot of developers who don't like that. Um, And certainly when you look at developers on a Mac or on Linux or even using Java, having all of our user experience tied into the visual studio experience didn't work. So we had to take uh, the build definition creation, editing, you know, queue management, pool management experience out into the web um, to, to make that possible.
1: Cool. That's cool.
2: So, so,
0: you know, what is what, what is this actually named i know we've been calling you've been calling it
2: build b next for forever and preview yeah. build is it just it's just it's team just, build it's just team build it, the, okay. the idea is it is just team build and what what you get is you get team foundations. It comes with build automation and now you simply have a couple of choices of how you want to automate your builds. You have uh, for the for quite a while to come the existing XAML workflow based system uh, that people have built a lot of very complex and rich uh, orchestrations on and if that is something you need you can continue to use that and it will be supported for quite a long time and then we have Build type, build definition type, uh, which is lighter weight, it's web based for editing. It is more of a, a linear series of, of tool runners, of, of just tasks that execute kind of these very discrete operations uh, that's focused more on making it easy for you to execute your build. And when I say your build, I mean your MS build file, your Gradle file, your Maven palm, your Ant file on a machine in an automated fashion based on a schedule or other trigger.
1: Cool. And then you, but you can, so it, within that, within the orchestration, is yep. there still an MS build? Uh, do we call them runners, do we? Or what do we call them? Uh, the, I call them, so. Activities. activities.
2: Yeah, <laughs> activities. That like, yeah, yeah,
1: the things that do stuff. The, the things that Yeah, the, the things that do stuff.
2: Um, so uh, in the UI, you, you see add steps. So they're kind of called build steps okay. in the UI. Um in in the release UI, which is which you'll see coming later and I'm it's been demoed at build and stuff and ignite. Uh I think they're called uh release steps. Okay. Uh in the back end we call them tasks very generically. There's a a, a storage uh in the in an API for accessing them and you can create your own and upload them. Um so, so I guess, you,
1: uh, yeah, is there an MS build build step so you could run like a build v1 equivalent would be one of those, would it? Or ooh, no, you wouldn't want to do that. Okay.
2: You could <laughs> MS build build step, just like there is a Gradle build step, and there's yep. a Maven build step, and there's an Ant build step, and a Gulp build step. Xcode and that build, is Xcode build build step. And those, you put one of those on, and they have a set of properties that are designed for whatever that particular tool is. You drop that on, you specify the value. So in the case of MS build, you'd specify maybe your Visual Studio solution or your MS build project. Um, which platform and configuration do you want to use multiple cores? running your build, you know, a few high-level properties like that, and, and then it's ready to go. And then when you queue the build, we download the source code on the machine and execute what the MS build against whatever file you told us to. Now, specific to v1 build, that a uh, particular type of MS Build project has a dependency on a lot of targets that actually um, perform the same functionality that the new build orchestration is trying to do. Right? It does. They do things like it actually has targets in it to go sync source code. Right? And it has targets to associate the set of changes with the build and work items and things like that. You want to run a, a V1 team build? Uh, build proj in the new build system. You can continue to run those the way they have been. You you really want to migrate those to, a, your either your own build project that does everything that is specific to your build and gets rid of all of our old you know two thousand five team build stuff, or you can you know use a different or build dsl to to set that
1: up what is the migration story for someone with for, so yeah what's the migration so, story for someone with ms build builds from v1 what's the migration story for somebody with XAML builds
2: okay in both cases um if you have existing builds that are have been running in tfs they will continue to run you upgrade to tfs 2015 and nothing changes for you okay when you want to move to the there is a redo. There is no direct migration. And we there was a lot of reasons why we did it that way. Um, we felt that in the end, it was the best way for us to provide the most forward-thinking system we could, Um and that's why another reason why we went side-by-side. Side. So if you remember way back in 2010, um, there was this thing, or it still exists, this thing called the upgrade template.xaml, mm-hmm. which, which was intended to sort of direct upgrade your TFS build project files. And it worked okay, but had interesting challenges and problems. Um, we felt it was much better because of the type of technology XAML is, because of the way it works, and because of the way the old build controller works. Um, we we really couldn't directly upgrade the XAML. Um, there was no good way to do it. And that has to do both from a technology perspective as well as from an architecture perspective of how the entire new system works. Um, you know, in the XAML, one of the things that happens in the XAML template is... You remember you had your XAML build controller and you had agents that went with it. And it was really that single piece of software, the build control of the machine, that ran the workflow and then sent chunks of that workflow down to agents as part of the agent scope. Mm -hmm. Well, with the new build system, one of the key things was we needed an orchestration that didn't have to run on any particular technology platform, or at least not any particular agent technology platform. So we actually moved what was the controller into the TFS server itself. So the individual, what was an agent scope, or what are jobs as they're called internally now, um, are actually managed by the TFS server and get sent down to the agent over the same kind of message queuing technology. The agent's doing a long pull against the server, receives some work to do, and then writes logs back. But all that is managed by the server. So you would have this, if we tried to run this AML build, you'd have this really weird combination of controller calling to controller and which would is then supposed to orchestrate agents. And it just didn't work. Not with, with some of the changes we wanted to make. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've, got, oh. I've got another quick question. Just be, I know I'm, I'm hogging yeah. this, Greg, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah. I,
0: I'm enjoying this. On I'm the, learning.
1: Uh, on the build stuff, you know, uh-huh. um, if you, if we're wanting to like parallel, it's easy for me to say tasks across, Agents mm-hmm. um, in the old build, you could kind of do that, but it was a nightmare. You know, yep. um, is that possible now? Is that any easier or harder? Um, the same. It's
2: a lot easier to do it on a very kind of course level. Okay. So what you can do is um, when when you have your set of build tasks uh, in the or build steps in the UI, there's a tab called Options there. And and it's a little blank at the moment. It'll be filled out with some other stuff that we just didn't get to for this release. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the options there is called multi-configuration. And so what you can do is you can check that box and you can specify um, a, a variable that you want to... Um, build a matrix across. So let's take the config as as sort of the common example. I want to build debug and release. I want to do it at the same time. So what I could do is I can set up my build. I could create a variable called build configuration. Um, And actually, if you use one of our built-in templates, it sets one of these up for you. Um, And then I could give that variable two values. I could give debug, I could then click on the multi-configuration option and say, hey, I want to use that build configuration variable, and I want you to sort of multiply my build steps across that, Mm -hmm. and we will create two jobs that are identical except for they'll have a single value for that variable. And then they can be run in parallel if I happen to have two agents. And it's very simple to do. Okay, It's easier to do than it is to explain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was trying to think about, is there, like… You know, if you can do sort of a compile on one and go generate the Sandcastle documentation on another, and you know mm-hmm. that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, you could do that
2: okay. if you have your. Now, that would be a little tougher, simply because you would, if you had a, a really good MS Build or or in or Nant or Maven or how wh- whatever build DSL you want to do, if you had a really good one of those which had individual targets, then you yeah. could make the targets that variable, right? So you could have one target which is build my app, you know. And then the other target, which is generate my doc, right? A different target, and then you could do the matrix across the build targets and specify those as part of the MS build command line. Cool.
1: Yeah. Now that would that would actually work okay. Yep. And one last quick one on the agent stuff. Then with the uh-huh. architecture. how do you specify? So say if I want. Um, I've got a mix of Windows build agents and mm-hmm. like a Linux build agent and a Mac yep. build agent. How do I mm-hmm. specify that, Hey, I'm going to do Xcode. So I need this to run on a Mac build agent. That's in, mm-hmm. my, in my, Do you still have pools of build agents? Is that how it all works still? Yeah. So,
2: um, Uh, We actually, well, we do have pools now. We never really had pools before. We had a controller which controlled a bunch of agents. Mm. So what you have in 2015 is if you go into your, your server level manager, you see this new tab called agent pools and you can create many agent pools and which are actually stored at the team foundation server level. And this is important because it, 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 solves one of our other common customer complaints, which was, hey, I've got build resources. I have a whole bunch of project collections. I want to use those build resources across multiple project collections. Oh, you can do that now. Yes, you can do that now. That's the other bit of the big architecture change that makes the you know, direct upgrade difficult. So basically you create an agent pool and then I can add a whole bunch of agents to that pool. I can then choose to explicitly delegate administration of that pool to an individual and give them give them the ability to administer that pool, but no other pools within the system, right? I can then assign visibility to that pool to a subset of the project collections. So I can say I have pool A and collection one, two, three, four, you get pool A and then pool B, five and six, you get pool B, right? Or however I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within those agents, all of the agents have a series of capabilities, some of which are automatically defined by the system. And there are things like tools we go find. So we go look for Visual Studio, and we look for MS build and we look uh, on windows and we, and we scan the environment variables and we scan the path. Oh, nice. Um, and then on, on OS X or on Mac or on Linux, we go look for things like Xcode and grunt and gulp. And we also scan the environment variables and the path. Um, and then we, we register those as capabilities to the agent. A user could then go find their, their own capabilities, which are basically just tags, except for their tag with a value. So you can actually give them a value. And then on the build definition, you will see a section called demands um, mm-hmm. under the general tab. And what we do is we, and you can add custom demands. You can add your own demands to that build definition. And then some demands are automatically added by the tasks. So for example, I do, I drop on the Xcode task. Mm-hmm. Um, that will automatically add a demand for Xcode to that, and it will make sure that when that build is queued to the pool, it can only, only the subset of agents from that pool that have the Xcode capability will be selected to potentially
1: run that build. Nice. So. Hey, so for a pool then, would you recommend, for configuring these capabilities, would would it, you, setting environment variables probably be the best way? Because you can do that as part of your stand-up script for the agent rather than doing it in UI? Or
2: Yes, I would do that. So if you want to have custom capabilities on the agents, I would do environment variables. And you can do it either machine-wide. Um, you can actually also... Have it on the machine, so you can install more than one agent on the machine. And of course, you could start those agents with different users that have different profile environments, or you could you could just start them from a you know a script that's got um, you know different environment variables set, just kind of depending on how you want
1: to do that. Mm, nice. Uh, and though, all the the finally, are... the, so oh, one more on, keep thing. Going, keep going.
2: The agents um, when you when you we push a patch to the server. This is especially important with the service. The yeah. studio service agents automatically upgrade themselves. Um, so as new bits of the agents get pushed to the server, they will the agents will will connect back and say hey there's a new version for you. It'll download those new agent bits. Oh uh, so wow. It's up to date, yeah.
1: So I just, so I just do apply one patch to my TFS server and all my agents will go update themselves over time. But that's right. Oh. That's so much better. <laughs> well done. Golf clap to the team. <laughs>
2: And
0: this is like all available right now in VSO. So if some of our listeners want to go start playing with this and start taking advantage of this, they can go use use their free account on VSO and start playing with this Mm -hmm. as they listen to this podcast.
2: That's right. And and, um, you get a couple of things there. So automatically with your free account, you get access to something called the Hosted Build Pool, which is a pool of these agents that we maintain. It's very similar to what was the Hosted Build Controller, which is also still there for now. Um, and. At the moment, because we haven't GA'd it yet, it's completely free. So you can run all the builds you want for free on the hosted build pool. Um, and there's no, there, there's a maximum of a 60 minute limit for any individual build, but you have no maximum number of builds uh, for now. That will change in the uh, not too distant future.
1: That's so cool. I, w- I wish we could. I wish the licensing was different for Mac, so we could have, you know, like Mac builds in there and things like that. But uh, yeah,
2: so I'm working with a partner on
1: that. Good so man. Yeah. We'll see if we we'll see what we can come up with. Cool. Sorry, Greg. Well, Martin, Any questions from you? I've been, I've, I've I've dominated.
0: <laughs> no, those are uh, that's great stuff. Like I said, I, I'm glad I'm listening. I mean, co-hosting. Hey, um, hey
1: I've got I've, before I do the ad, I have got one more question I want to do. Then <laughs> okay. So because I, I happen to know the answer to this one, so but it's oh. one of the things that they fixed. So I was going to say, um, do you want to uh, talk about where where the parts stored now but also where where build parameters are stored you know the configuration the build parameters yeah um
2: well so i mean it's it's still all stored okay so we we fixed uh, we kind of fixed this i guess some people would say we have it so we have a couple of things so the the parameters and the configuration are, are all stored in tfs but they're now revisioned which was something that wasn't there before. So every time you make a change to your build, you actually get a new revision. And you can go back in diff and see uh, what's changed from revision to revision to revision. And you can see who made that change.
1: See, that's huge, because that, yeah. that was a major flaw in that Like we, we got configuration was stored in version control previously, but the parameters weren't. And so if something yep. foots with something, then it would break everybody and nobody would know who did it.
2: That's right. So now you can see who changed and what changed and all that stuff. We have to. We uh, didn't get the rollback button in there, but we'll uh, we'll be. Oh
1: yeah, that that, that, that that'll so, be neat. But yeah. Yeah. And then the, my, I say my number one favorite feature is the console that you get, you know, when you run a build.
2: I love yeah, that. that doesn't, that doesn't do so well on the radio, but, uh, yeah, you have this nice, this nice live console view, which is kind of sitting there mesmerizing because everybody loves to sit there and watch their builds. I find this fascinating. Whenever I go to talk to developers, the number of people that hit build and sit there and watch it is staggering to me. Like I just, I wanted, I guess other things to, run i mean the whole point is runs it for me and I, i'll get an email or notification when when it's done but man people love to watch it so yeah we added this live console view that spins by using SignalR and all the fun web technologies and if you, you get an error it highlights it in red you get a warning it highlights it in yellow and, and all that cool so.
1: anyway I, i'm slacking my presenter duties here chris so uh <laughs> i'm just going to jump and we, we we are sponsored so just quickly um uh, I'm very gratefully sponsored as well by uh, Sass Made Easy. Uh, Radio episode 94 of Radio TFS is brought to you by Sass Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS dedicated virtual servers and TFS ALM consulting. You can read them, reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com. That's www.s a a s m a d e e a s y dot or email sales at sas Made Easy. Now back to the show. That's well, one thing worth mentioning as well. With your hosted VSO accounts, you can mix both on-prem private build controllers with cloud-hosted, you know, and your host, and, or you can go for the hosted pool as well if you want.
2: That's right. Yep. You have a very, very wide flexibility in how you, whether you use the build infrastructure we provide for you or you want to host your own. And there's some good reasons to to use either one. Uh, it's very, and a lot of people use both, actually.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Chris, uh, yeah, it was again, I was great having you to come on because just this week we got a question from uh Jason. No, 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 no. I didn't put his name here. I can't believe I did. Oh, Robin. Sorry, Robin. Um and we've already you've already got your answer, Robin, but I wanted Chris here to talk about it because this threw me as well. Um in Visual Studio 2015 it, was there anything pulled out of 2015 or, or how, how has that changed? How's the build experience in the IDE changed versus 2013
2: versus 2015? Okay. So, uh, the answer that's on Stack Overflow it needs a little bit of nuance actually. so it's not exactly that it's been pulled out of 2015. it is dependent on which server you're connected to. So, what, so what's been pulled out: of Oh it? sorry the okay. question well, The question came in via Stack Overflow that somebody couldn't find the build Explorer, like the thing you used to go use to go look at your builds mm-hmm. in, in Visual Studio 2015.: that can and, I just mention spent
1: uh, I God knows how long rebuilding in Eclipse as well, but anyway, never mind Carry <laughs> <on>. <laughs> yeah we got rid of that too. <laughs> um, so, uh,
2: but what we did in 2015 is because we're moving all of the experiences to the web, um, we chose to invest all of our effort there. And and there's a couple of reasons. I, I talked about one of the reasons we went to the web, um, up front, which is a cross platform angle. There's actually another very interesting angle that we'll get to in a second. Um, but because we move all the experiences to the web, we said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to not invest in the build explorer, Uh, Because we had these new build definition types that have different shapes and have different kinds of data and behave differently, we didn't want to spend all of that effort rewriting everything in WPF. What we really want to do is make a great web experience, because for something like build, I think that's actually the best place for it. And so when you are connected to Visual Studio Online or... To a 2015 TFS from Visual Studio 2015, you no longer see the Build Explorer. Uh, You can double-click on a build definition, or you can click on a new build definition link, and that will launch you into the web. Um, If you just want to go to the web portal on the homepage of Team Explorer, there's a, a web access link. However, if you're connected to a 2013 server from Visual Studio 2015, you will see the Build Explorer right, so we we bring that up when you're connected to twenty thirteen server because it doesn't have the web experience or at least not as rich a web experience as we're we're creating in twenty fifteen and going forwards, so there's a little bit of nuance there
1: oh okay. But it is still there for back compat, isn't it? It yeah. is still there for back
2: and back. And also, editing XAML build definitions is still in Visual Studio as well, because mm-hmm. um, you have to deserialize the object graph that is XAML and all that fun stuff, and you're not going to do that on the web. Um, the other interesting aspect, um, which I think is important to mention, of being in the web, there's a lot of cases where people upgrade their Team Foundation server to 2015, but they're still on, let's say, Visual Studio 2012. And we always get... This complaint of, I'm on the new server, but I can't use any of the new features, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the client wouldn't let you. So the other big benefit for things, for things like build that are very shared features, um, even like the task board for work item tracking is this, that you, you want to advance the server and you want to have the very latest in, in collaboration type features. But there's a really good reason for you to keep using Visual Studio 2012 or 2013, like you're using the SQL Server tools, and they haven't updated them yet. Big which is, Talk or Dynamics or, 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 or Dynamics, <laughs> or whatever. We want we wanted you to be able to continue to use that IDE, but still take advantage of the very latest in collaboration features. So that's the other reason for moving to the web. Um, is it it actually benefits that Visual Studio developer is yeah. uh, yeah. a lot as well as a cross platform developer.
1: If I'm um, if I am familiar with uh you know if I bought that excellent book Team Foundation Server 2013 or whatever and uh you 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 have got yourself familiar with doing xaml builds which were never very easy for people to learn but you know you've had that learning curve how how should those people go about um, learning the new build system and, you know, thinking about when should they make the decision if they should migrate to build over and things like that. You know, how, how would you ask them to look at that? So what I would say is
2: if you are using XAML build and you have not um, customized the template at all, you're just using the out-of-the-box template.
1: Which the vast majority of people do. Which in the vast majority,
2: and you are not using gated build for team foundation version control, which a lot of people are. So that's one of the little things that's missing then I would say you should migrate immediately. There's no reason for you to continue to use XAML build. Um, creating a new build definition uh, for your Visual Studio solution that is effectively the same as the XAML-based template is very simple. You simply do, you go to the web, you go to the build hub, you click on the green button and say new build definition. A dialogue pops up with a bunch of templates. You pick the Visual Studio solution template and it drops in there with all the tasks set up to build your solution and run your your unit tests and uh, index your sources and publish all your binaries. Um, and, and, and just, just like the XAML template used to do. Um, and then you can go fill in a couple of the parameters. You might want to select the solution you want to build and things like that. Uh, and then you're good to go. So cool. it's very, very easy. You can also visit http aka.ms slash tf build. And that will take you to the new, the MSDN documentation for the new team build. And there's a bunch of getting started videos and documentation there. Uh, to help you get going.
1: Say that again, Chris, so I can stick it in the show notes. whack TF build. Build. Perfect. We'll pull we'll that link in the show notes. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Chris, we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, team build, vnext, you know, uh, the latest team build has been getting a lot of press, a lot of people talking about it. But what, actually, this is a two part question. What do you think is actually the coolest part? And what part has not been getting the focus or the
2: visibility that you kind of think it should? What is the coolest part? Well actually yeah. I, I think the coolest part honestly is the console. I mean it's the most gratuitous, but it's just cool to sit there and, and watch. Um, um I, it's also very cool because it's so uh, I'd be a little facetious there, but but I do <laughs> like it. Um I actually think I really think the coolest part is just I think it's really used Um you know, there's so many times I answered so many questions uh for XAML build because I've been working on the build team and for quite a while in, in just in this area for a long time. Um about all right, so I have this script. I got this batch file or this PowerShell script. I just want to run that as part of my build. How do I do that? And then you go through the, you know, 20-page document of okay, download the template <laughs> and check it in and open it up in the workflow designer and take a break because you yeah, freak out. Grab it's,
1: a cup of tea for a while it opens.
2: go figure out where in the this massive tree of things where you need to drop that that activity, and then once you do that. Realize how do I set the properties on that? then go figure out the property collection metadata thing you need to go set to it was a it was terrible I mean it was a very very difficult experience to to customize it was incredibly powerful mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> some of the things. Uh, there's a very large computer manufacturer that deploys most of their customer facing websites using XAML built in the template they have is massive, incredibly powerful, but really did more than most people needed. And a lot of people just couldn't figure it out. So I think just the ease of, hey, you want to run a script, there's a nice little utility PowerShell script, select the script you want to run, it runs it, it works the way you would expect it to work. Um, and I, I think the, probably the most, uh, the thing that I don't see a lot of is the cross-platform stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. it, it is a, it's there. It's a little behind the .NET one. It basically, the cross-platform agent is open source. Um, actually, there's that aspect too. We'll talk about in a second. The cross-platform agent is open source. It's on GitHub. You, we take pull requests for it. Um, it's, it's completely written in JavaScript. Um, overtime script it, so, yeah, so,
1: so it's node based yep
2: okay. node based yep it's a node based agent um and it's out there and, and we have teams at microsoft uh like OneDrive um who are building their building and shipping their iOS and Android apps out of that system um so it's being used by by things that you know Um, and it, it's really cool. Um, and the fact that it's open source, I think, is very cool. We, we as a team push that really hard. Um, in fact, all of the tasks that we mentioned are also on GitHub. Um, and we'll put a link in the show notes for that. So you can go see them. And so as you want to create your own tasks, you can go see the ones we built and you can see them there. And it's a great example of how to, how to build one. And, and, you know, so you don't have to go like use reflector to decompile code or something. It's just all there. Um, so I think the sort of the cross and some of the open source stuff we 've done um, I think are the the things that people probably haven 't seen quite as much
1: and it's but that 's just huge. I mean, I know that was kind of the reason why you did it, but um, I did, one of the things that you know it, it was when I knew it was going to just things were going to be just fine as a cycle of a team sort of thing because before when we were doing cross platform work, it was kind of like you know things came over to my team and we went and made it cross platformy worky kind of sort of thing but it's over time, more and more people in TFS and your group led the way with this were like the cross-platform problem wasn't farmed off to some team to go fix. It was the problem of the, the team building the feature. And everyone was starting to think about, oh, how do we, you know, how do we keep the entire dev community part of this? So uh, it's, it's great to see, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. That's really a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's fantastic. I mean,
1: um, it, the coolest thing for me
2: personally was the first time that I went to the GitHub repo. And I'd set up the Microsoft contribution agreement stuff on there. And I had a pull request waiting from somebody who was not in Microsoft who had signed it that I was able to kind of pull in and and actually got shipped in the product.
1: Yep. So for
2: me personally, I think that was the... Sort of the, the 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 neatest thing that I, as far as this release goes, that that I was able to see.
1: Cool. Hey, um, what's the thing you're most ex- so you you mentioned? I'm trying to remember what you mentioned. A couple of things that are coming up. What's the thing you're most excited about? That's uh, that's on the way that you're allowed to talk about. I don't know if that's a strict caveat, <laughs> but there we go.
2: <laughs> so um, we have a lot of cool things coming. We're working on a lot of stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think the. Um, as the new release management system comes into place, um, along with the Azure platform specifically and others, but really focusing on the Azure platform, along with Visual Studio Online, uh, team build, and then the release management system is going to be really incredible. I think it's going to, it's that next next step of um, sort of agility and automation uh, really end to end. I mean, you've got great source control and and lifecycle management stuff in TFS up to a point, right? But we really haven't been able to go to kind of go beyond that. Well, we produce the bits point. And, And the tie together we're going to be able to get between building the code, producing the bits and putting it out into production on a platform and then taking application insights in with that and the feedback you get back into the front end, I think is over the next I would say, 12 months as things really come together, um, I think it's going to be very exciting. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, Chris, I
0: think this is a show. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it, w- it was great, and I hope our listeners liked it as much as I did. And if they didn't, well, too bad, because
2: I enjoyed <laughs> it a great deal. Okay. Well, thank if you, you guys much. have much. Fe- Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. I'll say thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, you said there's so much
0: coming in the next 12 months. We'll have to schedule for a, a follow-up show. Sure. Happy to be on. <laughs> well, guys, again, that's a show. I appreciate you listening. If you have any feedback for us, please send us an email at radiotfs at outlook.com. Send us a tweet at radiotfs. Drop us a voicemail at one 425 233 8379. And again, thank you for listening to Radio TFS.